Today on Blue 58, the Packers handled the Falcons to head to 4-0 and in 2020. Who played the most significant roles and what does this mean for the Packers as they head into their Week 5 bye? Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of ThePowerSweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdick. Very happy to be with you here for another episode. Your Green Bay Packers are 4-0. and And before we get too started... I just wanted to say, if you don't get enough of this podcast, you can actually hear me on another podcast this very day, recapping the Packers' win over the Atlanta Falcons. I joined Zach Rappaport of the Acme Packing Company podcast to do his immediate post-game recap show. That's a new thing that they are doing this year, and I have to say it was a lot of fun. It's the first time Zach and I have been able to talk, I almost said in person, but uh, over the air together. Uh, we've been friends for a while now, and uh, we finally got to to have a show together. So check that out. Um, we'll give you even more of that breakdown here, though, about what the Packers did against the Atlanta Falcons. So what happened in this Packers win? Most important thing is that the Packers won. And as I went through my my preparation for this show, my biggest question was, okay, the Packers won, but when was this actually over? And I think it it ended once the Packers went up. 13 to 3. At that point, the Packers had gone down and scored. They'd gone down and gotten to the one yard line again. And then they'd managed to hold off the Falcons as they went essentially the length of the field and then gave up and and kicked a field goal. To me, that seems like the end of the game. You've taken their best punch and they can't even get the ball into the end zone. It showed that the Packers can move the ball effectively, even if they don't have really any functional NFL-level receivers. It showed that they can do well enough on defense to take away one of the best receiving duos in the league. It showed that they can avoid playing down to an opponent when there's a bye week on the way and they have every reason to just pack it in a little bit and say, well, just try to squeak this one out. And then get to the bye week and get healthy. They came out, they handled the Falcons, and now they are 4-0. And they are 4-0 with four convincing wins. They've got a 9-point win over the Vikings, a 21-point win over the Lions, a 7-point win that could just as easily be a 10-point win or more against the Saints, and now a two-touchdown win over the Atlanta Falcons. A very overmatched team, to be sure. One team the Packers should beat and a team that they beat convincingly. A little bit of a spoiler alert. Normally we do three good things that came out of the game, three bad things that came out of the game. I don't think there are three bad things that come out of this game because, well, I have reasons that we'll, we'll touch on here in a second. Let's start with the good things, though, the three good things that happened today. First and foremost, Big Bob Tanyan. Shout out to all the Big Bob fans out there. I know there are a lot of Robert Tanyan supporters uh, just been hoping for years now that he really just gets a chance. And I admit to have been down a little bit on uh, on Robert Tanyan over the years. I thought we had seen all there was to see in the Robert Tanyan experience toward the, towards the end of last season. Clearly, I was wrong. In an offense built to suit his strengths, Robert Tanyan can get it done. And he got it done against the Atlanta Falcons. Six targets, six catches, 98 yards, Three touchdowns. The first three-touchdown game for a Packers tight end since September 25th of 2011 when Jermichael Finley did it against the Bears at Soldier Field. 
Other things that happened in that game, Ryan Grant carried for 92 yards. Jordy Nelson had three catches for 45. Donald Driver still playing. Jarius Wynn, someone by that name, had a couple tackles and a couple quarterback hits for the Packers. What I'm saying is it's been a while for the Packers to get this kind of performance uh, out of a tight end, and it's good to see. I don't think it really matters whether or not Tanyan is among the elite talents at tight end in the NFL. What he is is athletic. What he is is a willing blocker, if not a capable one. And I think you could you could say that he gets it done enough when he's called upon to do that. But most importantly, he can exploit mismatches when he gets them. And in the Packers' offense, he is getting plenty of mismatches. So for all the Big Bob fans out there, revel in this because he's done a lot of really exciting things so far this year. The second really good thing I think that came out of this game or that we saw in this game was personnel diversity for the Packers. Now this was going to be something they had to do in this game because you can't just take a wide receiving group of Marquez Valdez-Scantling, Malik Taylor, Darius Shepard, and Reggie Bagleton and run your normal stuff. You just can't. It's not going to work. So the Packers had to get creative. And what do they do? They go out there with personnel groupings with three running backs and two wide receivers. Three running backs, a receiver, and a tight end. 30 personnel, 31 personnel. And they get good results with that as well. I don't think there there are a couple plays, and we'd have to go back and look at the film uh, to really see what's going on here. But a couple of the plays where the Packers had their top three backs out on the field. Aaron Jones, Jamal Williams, and Tyler Irvin. It looked like the Falcons' defense didn't know what could happen, not what would happen, not where is this play going to go. They didn't even seem to be able to comprehend the possibilities of what could happen there. And that was pretty cool to see. How long has it been since the the Packers had what felt like a schematic advantage on offense? Has that ever happened? I mean... Back in 2011, like prime, like nuclear reactor hot Packers offense era, it was all about the talent that the Packers had on offense. Jordy Nelson, Greg Jennings, James Jones, Donald Driver, Jermichael Finley, Aaron Rodgers throwing the ball to all of them. It's hard to match up with that group just because there's There's so much talent out there. Somebody is going to be open. It doesn't really almost matter what plays you call. Now, the Packers are scheming guys open in interesting ways, playing to guys' strengths in interesting ways, and figuring out how to beat defenses by preparing well. That's ultimately what it comes down to. And it's almost a mind-blowing concept, just being well-prepared going into a game and winning because of that. Who knew such a thing was possible, right? It's like Matt LaFleur sits down during the week and looks at what all the opponents have done previously and then tries to come up with ways where the Packers can counter that. What what an approach. Again, just hard to conceive of such a thing. Maybe against the rules, so the Packers should really enjoy this while they can, but I think, you know, this could be a trend. You might want to consider continuing to do stuff like this, just putting your people in, in, in situations where they can, can match up 
um, well with the, with the skills that they offer. And I think Jamal Williams might be the best example of that. Previously, I've described as, uh, Jamal Williams as a guy who doesn't necessarily bring a lot to the table, but he doesn't necessarily bring a lot or take a lot off of it either. Kind of a neutral player, if anything. He may not be the most explosive runner, may not be the most dynamic player in the open field, but he does things like pass block really well. He's assignment sure he's always where he's supposed to be. And there is some value in that. But I think this year, Jamal Williams has gone from, I don't know how you, how you say it, just a guy. He, he's, more, he's always been more than just a guy, but nobody opposing defenses really had to game plan around to a guy that defenses do have to account for. He's running harder than ever. Coming into this game, he's been averaging almost five yards a carry, 4.7 yards per carry. And then tonight, he really showed that he can do some damage as a receiver. Jamal Williams in the open field, and maybe it's just me, but this is kind of a paradigm-shifting thing. Getting him out in the open field was never a priority for the Packers before because it just wasn't his game. He was a between-the-tackles power sort of guy. But he's showing that he can do damage when you get him to the perimeter of the defense. It's interesting to see because he's still not the shiftiest guy in the world, but he is a guy who gets the ball. He can get north and south quickly, and he's a heck of a a tackling matchup for any defensive back who wants to get in his way. There is definite value there. That's more than a just-doesn't-take-stuff-off-the-table type player. He's a plus player for the Packers, and he's, he's showing it in a big way this year. This game in particular, eight catches, 95 yards, not great as a runner, eight carries for 10 yards, but with what he's contributing through the through the passing game, it, it really doesn't matter. You want to talk about one bad thing that comes out of this game. Even heading into the bye, the health situation is a little bit concerning just because of the number of guys that are hurt. Now, the Packers, in their final injury report before this game, had nine guys listed as questionable, and then Mercedes Lewis also listed as doubtful. Now, maybe there's some gamesmanship to that. Maybe there's the Packers just being ultra-conservative, knowing they're heading into a bye. But still, that's that's not a great scenario. Through most of this game, I thought they were going to get out staying relatively healthy. But then things started to add up. Aaron Rodgers gets a little nicked up on a bit of an odd tackle. Kevin King has something of a soft tissue injury. Shannon Sullivan has a concussion. Will Redmond gets a little bit banged up. Josiah DeGuara gets a little bit banged up. That's five noteworthy contributors. Say what you will about Will Redmond, but he's out there a lot. Losing him would at least force you to shuffle your defensive backfield a little bit. Add these five guys to an already long injury list, one that features Devontae Adams and Kenny Clark, among others. That gets to be a little bit concerning. Every year that the Packers have an early bye, and this is as early as it can get, week five, people say, well, I'd rather not have a bye right there. But every week we get to the bye, and it always seems like we're saying, wow, really good that we have a bye week now. Bye weeks always come at a good time. Everybody can always use the rest. And yeah, you'd probably not like to have to play 13 weeks in a row of regular season football. 
and then potentially as many as uh, as four postseason games after that in a row. But it never hurts to have an opportunity to get healthy, especially when we're heading into a stretch where the Packers have four road games in six weeks. So what does this mean? Well, it means that the Packers are 4-0. and It means they are 4-0 and against the NFC, important for tiebreakers. It means they are 4-0, and 4-0 against the NFC, undisputed first place holders in the NFC North, and they are heading into a bye week. The Packers are 4-0, and undefeated against the NFC, unchallenged in first place in the NFC North, and heading into the bye week, after which they will very likely have two more of their very top players back in Devontae Adams and Kenny Clark. If you're not getting what I'm going for here, the Packers are in really good shape heading into the bye week. They're in great shape. And we should feel really good about what the Packers have done through the first week of the NFL season. If you want to boil it down to one number other than 4-0, how about this one for you? One of the things we've been doing at thepowersweep.com this year so far is tracking Aaron Rodgers' adjusted net yards per attempt. It's one of the best single numbers that you can get for tracking quarterback performance. Aaron Rodgers tonight had an adjusted net yards per attempt of 11.62. His very best since week seven of last year against the Raiders, where he had a 16.28. Not too bad. But it's the long-term trends that are really important. For his last four games, Aaron Rodgers has an adjusted net yards per attempt figure of 10.13. He hasn't had one that high since 2014. Over the last eight, his adjusted net yards per attempt is 7.49. And over the last 16, it's 7.45. He is steadily trending upward by game and over the larger chunks that we look at. He is on the way up. He might be getting better. In fact, those last two numbers over the last eight and last 16 games, Aaron Rodgers is actually above his career average in that number. Things are crystallizing a little bit for the Packers. And they are crystallizing around Aaron Rodgers, who's playing some of his very best football. Four weeks does not a season make. But through four weeks, the Packers are undefeated. They've handled every NFC opponent thrown their way, which is going to be valuable for playoff tiebreakers down the road. They're on top of their division. And their 36, 37-year-old quarterback is playing some of his best football ever. There may be some warts on defense. Maybe the talent isn't as desirable as it could be in some position groups. All of that can be true. But you should be excited about where the Packers are right now. So what happens next for the Packers? Well, they have their bye week, and they're getting a visit from one Damon Snacks Harrison. I don't know what this means. He's visiting Seattle first. That means he may not even make it to Green Bay. If I was Seattle and I brought him in for a workout, a visit, and it looked like he was in good shape and I wanted him on my team, I would make sure he didn't leave without a contract. If so, though, or if he does leave Seattle, he will head to Green Bay on Wednesday. If he looks like he can play, I wouldn't let him leave Green Bay without a contract. Other than that, the Packers need to just get healthy and rest up. 
if they can get healthy, if they can get just about everybody who is questionable this week back to something approaching full health, you might as well just look at this stretch they have coming up after the bye week as a 12-game season. Because if they can, I don't know, go 8-4 and four over their final 12 games, that might be enough for a first-round bye. If they can go 9-3, and three, that would almost certainly do it, given the tiebreakers that they have. Beyond that, you're getting into some pretty rarefied air. And I think that'd be something the Packers would be absolutely fine with. A 14-2 and two season almost assures them a first-round bye in the playoffs this year. And then the playoff run gets really interesting. As for us, we will be back with another episode on Friday. And then we'll see what, what next, week's hold, next week holds. We will for sure have episodes on Wednesday and Friday as we get back to the, the, the regular str- uh, swing of things. But um, obviously no, no preview podcast this Friday. We'll, we'll talk about something else. But uh, it's, it's an interesting time to be a Packers fan, and there's a lot of exciting stuff that we have to talk about. Let's talk about some general things about this game and then send you off into your Tuesday. Falcons got to see their new uniforms in person for the first time, quote-unquote in person. You know, I thought it looked pretty good. Uh, my wife is pretty uniform savvy. She did not love them. So sample size of two in the Meerdink household, one yes, one no. We did agree we like the new Falcons helmets. I wish more teams would go in the NFL at least with the uh, the matte finish look on their helmets. I like that a lot. The, the chrome face masks look pretty cool too. What is the big takeaway for me though, looking at those Falcons uniforms is looking at them, just thinking for a second and thinking, you know, they didn't have me in mind when they made those uniforms. They were not trying to think of what the 32-year-old white guy from from a small town in Wisconsin likes when they were putting those uniforms together because that is not a traditional old-school look. The Packers, that's more my speed. The Falcons, I like what they got going on, but it, they weren't thinking of me when they put those uniforms together, and that is just as well. We don't always have to have, to have just things that appeal to me. Zedarius Smith on defense. I haven't talked a lot about the defense tonight, and I think that's that's okay. Generally speaking, I think if we can keep the Packers' defense out of the conversation, that's just as well for everybody. But on that defense, Zedarius Smith did have three sacks tonight, also two penalties. But the three sacks are interesting. It is his second three-sack performance since joining the Packers. It is just the 35th three-sack performance in Packers history. And of course, three-sack games only go back as far as 1982. That is when sacks became an official statistic in the NFL. So not the entirety of Packers history, but getting close to 40 years now. Not too bad. Uh, pretty pretty exciting company there for Mr. Zadaria Smith, and that continues to be quite a good signing for the Green Bay Packers. Got another first in the game tonight. It was our first time hearing Monday Night Football with Steve Levy doing the play-by-play. We don't talk about broadcasting stuff as much as as we used to, and I I think that's fine. Uh, But I did want to make mention of it because it was his first time on the broadcast, and I thought he was largely pretty good. He had some weird name slip-ups. He called Robert Tanyan Malik Taylor once, which made me laugh out loud, actually sitting on my couch all by myself, um, because they don't look anything alike at all. And I can see the Taylor-Tanyan uh, name slip 
being a thing, but that, that was just a funny mix-up for me. And this is coming from a guy who on a recent episode of the podcast had to edit out calling Mike Pettin Dom Capers. Um, so take all that criticism with a grain of salt. Um, I think by and large announcers do a pretty good job. I still could do without color commentators. If I could just get the ghost of Pat Summerall in the booth, I think I'd be pretty happy. Back to the actual game. Aaron Jones running wide receiver style routes is never going to get old for me, especially in situations like we saw tonight at least once where they split him out wide. He cooked a cornerback and caught a big pass down the sideline. That is the sort of value that Aaron Jones has to provide to justify a big contract extension. He has to be more than just a running back. And running routes like an actual wide receiver is a really good way to be more than a running back. Pretty inauspicious debut, all things considered, for Malik Taylor. Was schemed open on a really nice Nice play for a fourth down conversion. But what really caught my eye about Malik Taylor tonight is the motion that he was in on one play uh, for the Packers. So orbit motion uh, is is what I'm, I'm referring to on this play. This was really what caught my eye. Orbit motion is when a receiver starts from outside the formation, so outside where the the, the linemen and, and tight ends typically light out, so, so split out wide, and goes all the way back behind the quarterback and the, and the deepest running back. And in this situation, it was real deep because the Packers were in, in shotgun. This caught my eye because it's pretty rare in the Packers' offense. Uh, Tyler Irvin has done it a couple times, but I don't think we've seen it from a, a true wide receiver yet in the Packers' offense. Look for more wrinkles like that in the latter stages of the season as Lafleur starts to um, get deeper and deeper into his playbook. Finally, I thought it was interesting uh, speaking of the Packers defense, that the Packers appeared to have at least one look from something resembling a true 3-4. And I thought this was interesting and, and worth mentioning because Mike Patton often talks about how, you know, it's a sub-package league. Uh, we play a lot of dime by necessity and, and by preference. Uh, that's just what he likes to do. And base defenses really don't matter anymore in the NFL. But on this look, we had pretty much a true 3-4 defense. You had Dean Lowry and Kingsley Kiki, I, I think it was Kiki, lined up as ends, and Tyler Lancaster as a true traditional nose right over the center. Preston and Zadarius Smith standing up on the outside. It was it was just kind of cool to see because it's so rare, a lot like that orbit motion. You just don't see a whole lot of it anymore, and, and we got to see it in this Packers game. The bottom line, final point I want to leave you with today something we mentioned before. This is really good. Sure, it could be better, but it can always be better. And if six months from now, four months from now, we're basking in the mid-February cold, having just won a Super Bowl, we're not going to be worried about the style points. We're not going to be worried about whether or not the Packers drafted a wide receiver. The important thing is the Packers are 4-0. They're 4-0, they're cruising, they're playing well, and they've got a chance to get healthy here heading into the bye week. That's a pretty darn good place to be, and I'm pretty happy with that, and I hope you are as well. So I've got for you in this episode. Again, check out my appearance on the Acme Packing Company podcast with Zach Rappaport. That's a lot of fun, um, and hopefully we get to do some stuff like that again. Maybe we'll have Zach on this show or some of the other guys from um, from the Acme Packing Company podcast on in the near future would really enjoy that too. If you like this show, 
uh, and it meant something to you, go ahead and uh, share it with somebody who you think would enjoy it as well. Uh, That's going to help more people find the show and ultimately help us continue our mission of helping everybody become smarter Packers fans. Because as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.